This week on Cinema Oblivia, a movie about uh, preteen runaways, uh, ruthless thieves, murderous hitmen, and various other assorted uh, felonies and crimes. It's a kid's film. Really. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, the podcast for movies that are out of date, out of fashion, out of style, forgotten, misbegotten, and you know, whatever, all that stuff. As per usual, I am your host, James Eldred, and coming in from Chicago, who do we got returning today? Hello, this is Norm from Question of Character, and I have come to walk on water, eat bullets, and shit ice cream. Me too. But I think you'll 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 sell it better. Yes, that is a line from the uh, let's not say classic. Um, classic in my mind, classic in my classic in my heart. Uh, nineteen eighty seven, uh, coming of age comedy, Big Shots. Uh, that I wanted to talk about because I wanted to talk about it, and I wanted to get Norm to talk about it with me because Big Shots is about a stupid-ass white kid from the suburbs who meets a black guy from Chicago, and I am a stupid-ass white kid from the suburbs, and Norm is a black guy from Chicago. <laughs> well, actually, he's a uh, a dumb little white boy sometimes. Yeah, that's true. But he is very white. He has a, he has, he is a white kid in 1987, and he has a fucking poster for the band Chicago in his room. <laughs> okay, there you go. That is, that is some, that, whew. It, late 80s if you like late 80s Chicago you are made of mayonnaise <laughs> just putting that out there but anyway uh, Norm thanks for doing this uh, sure. I love this movie I have seen I watched this movie multiple times when it first came out as a kid uh, my dad rented it from the video store and it was kind of at his we, we watched it a lot I think I only saw the whole thing maybe once as a kid but I watched it bits and pieces over and over and over and over again. Um, Norm, what about you? So, um, yeah, I watched it too as a kid. I don't, I didn't remember it, but I did remember like bits and pieces. It was kind of like reflective memory. Mm -hmm. But the one part that I really remembered was when he told his sister that she had a nice ass. And that was, <laughs> that was just as awkward as it was when I watched it again, as it was back then. Yeah, that's, that that seems questionable. But uh, yeah, the movie's about, like we said, a dumb white a dumb white boy whose dad dies suddenly, and he runs away, kind of runs away from home, gets lost in Chicago, and becomes friends with a black kid who goes by the name Scam, who is kind of homeless, kind of you don't really know his story, and mm -hmm. oh yeah, and the white kid's name is Obi. Obi, I mean it's almost textbook you know this type of guy we're, we're dealing with today yeah yes and they go on adventures and hilarious consequences ensue in a quote-unquote family film that when it came out was rated pg-13 and 
for a movie with two preteens in it, pretty some stuff happens in this. I mean, definitely. Yeah, somebody threatens to cut the dicks off. <laughs> well, yeah, the first word of the entire movie. I'm not sure if you know what it is. Do you know? Oh, I forgot. What is it? Is it, is it penis? No, the first word of the movie is sperm. Literally, that's right. I was close. I was in the ballpark. Close. You're in the ballpark. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. We're hitting four hundreds here today. We're 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 hot. We're classy motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the first scene in the movie is Obi's dad giving him the facts of life talk, kind of, um, while they're fishing, and then, yeah, you know, as as dads do. I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. My. I think my mom did that talk for me. She had a she had a she had a, she had a picture book. <laughs> Remember yeah, I just that. came home one day to my mother's house and she had condoms on the table. There you go. <laughs> okay, okay <laughs> then. Well, <laughs> on that went note, went off from there. <laughs> went off from there. <laughs> Going on. Um, this movie was directed by Robert Mandel, who is you know did a few small films and he did FX, which, which I loved as a kid, mm-hmm. and which is like the. The uh, undercut, the special effects guy helps the FBI, and then there's a double cross, and he has to use special effects to hide from the hide from bad guys. It's a fun movie. And it's funny because I actually saw part two recently. <laughs> Why did Just you saying. see FX part two? I started with FX two. Sorry, yeah, what? Independence Day two. I started with no, I did start with Independence Day one one, but uh, yeah, I started with FX two. Okay, Is, so uh, I watched. I like bad movies, and that's why I'm good for this show, because, you know, not saying that the movies are bad, but they're, you mm-hmm. know, kind of movies that people don't watch. But uh, I watch the Sony movie, movies, yeah, Sony movie channel, and they have a lot of the, like, Steven Seagal trash movies. Ah, uh, okay. You know, American Ninja, that type of stuff, so, yeah. Well, okay, we'll get that later. Uh, FX2, probably better than Steve, later uh, Steven Seagal trash. Um, mm-hmm. FX1, I recommend, good movie. Uh, good Brian Dennehy. Also has Jerry Orbach. Good movie. And this guy also made School Ties, which is like the anti-anti-anti-anti-Semitic movie with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And uh, who else is in that? I forgot. Um, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. uh, Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell. That's right. Chris O'Donnell. And Brendan Fraser. Duh. He's the main guy. Um, Good movie. I think he also directed directed the X-Files pilot. Oh, cool. But... He he did the substitute, which is another like you know we we talked about the principle. I talked the principle, right? This is like the third time the substitute has come up on this podcast. You did one with Diamond it. recently. I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but his last movie was the substitute. He, I think, in in theaters, he was filming the Rage Carry Two and walked off the set, <laughs> and that was it for that. He's only done TV <laughs> since then. He did he did a movie about Def Leppard called hysteria because you know that's easy and that movie mm-hmm. sucks shit uh as a diehard Leopard fan that movie made me angry um that's all i have to say about robert mandel I, I don't think he's not the kind of person who brings a lot of personality to a film is, is what i'm saying he's he's by the numbers he, he's, a, he's a workhorse director i think the personality from this film comes from the writer <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. The director, it's just like a regular movie. No special shots. Yeah, yeah shot, nothing special. No nothing pans. Special. Yeah. <laughs> Zooms. Yeah. yeah. But the the writer, <laughs> goddamn Joe Esterhouse wrote this. Mm-hmm. Um, between Jagged Edge and Basic Instinct, 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking at these titles and I'm like, he did this kids movie. I mean, there's some elements in here, I guess. You know, no, I don't know. This doesn't fit. I'm sorry, I can't even he, like justify. Apparently, he wrote it for his son. Oh, that's nice. Uh, which makes sense. That, that I have no corroboration or not. I read that somewhere. I forgot where, but that makes sense. Okay. But yeah, Joe Estherhouse, he wrote Flashdance. Uh, okay. first episode of this podcast, I covered that. And then Jagged mm-hmm. Edge, which was like a really really weird like courtroom drama um that deals with like I think rape and murder. I know there's murder. <laughs> um and then basic instinct, of course. I mean, you know. And then later on, Sliver, Showgirls, Jade, the triple threat yeah. of high high nineties trash. But like those are the movies that every that Joe Estherhouse made that everybody knows about, for good or bad, like including mm-hmm. Jade. But he also made these movies that nobody has heard of. He made this. He made Fist, which was the Stallone Union movie. He made. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. <laughs> yeah, Hearts of Fire, which is the Bob Dylan movie, um, with uh, Ruba Everett and Bob Dylan. It's supposed to be bad. It's kind of hard to find. It's '80s Bob Dylan acting. Oh, so he's acting. It's not about Bob Dylan. Yeah, he's okay. an actor. Wow. He's not playing Bob Dylan. He's playing somebody else, but he, he's, he's playing Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. But I heard it's terrible. He also made. He also wrote um, uh, kind of like a screwball, like uh, a comedy called Checking Out with Jeff Daniels that nobody has ever seen. And Music Box, which is like some, like another, another courtroom drama, but not as big as his other ones, which had Jessica Lange in it. And, but again... I just think it's funny that Joe Estherhouse kind of had two careers in the 80s of like some of the biggest films that defined the decade and then crap you have never heard of. Yeah, but not even in the same kind of genre because, you know, checking out just looked like just, you know, madcap stupidity. And it's with Jeff Daniels, too, with, you know, that kind of dumb and dumber type of Jeff Daniels. But you're looking at Basic Instinct and, you know, Sliver and Showgirls. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen Sliver. Um, I heard it's terrible. I I own Soul Girls on Blu-ray. Um, and I've never seen Jade, and I heard Jade's like epically terrible. That's like the Caruso movie, like that. Like David Caruso was gonna be a direct, be be a big actor, and he made that, and then he had to go uh, to CSI. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I I remember hearing like you know like talk about that movie, but I never saw it either. Yeah. No matter what anybody thinks of Big Shots, whether they love it or hate it, nobody is going to say this is Joe House's worst movie. <laughs> uh, because he did make Jade. He also did that one, uh, the out the Burn Hollywood Burn, the Alan Smithy movie. Okay. Uh, that was released. That was that was directed by Arthur Hiller. But then it's a movie about a director who doesn't like the movie he's making and he takes his name off the movie. And Alan Hill, Arthur Hiller hated the movie and took his name off the movie. And in then real you have life, Alan Smithy. Yes, to be Alan Smithy, and I, I think since then mainstream Hollywood has retired the name Alan Smithy because, oh, really? like, well, no, when uh, when uh, Walter Hill made that piece of shit uh, Supernova, he took his name off that, and that was credited to Thomas Lee, the great Thomas Lee, the great Thomas Lee. But anyway, enough about, <laughs> enough about fake people don't exist. Sure. Uh, and a few producers on this, but this was the executive producer on this was Ivan Reitman. Well, I didn't even make notes for. That's the guy who made Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, oh, come on, Ivan Reitman. Yeah, we already He's know. A big 80s deal. king. Yeah, and uh, from what little behind the scenes footage we could find about this, he also directed part of the movie. He did the reshots. 
there were reshoots. And I wonder what was reshot. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, everything looked like cookie cutter kind of directing. So there was nothing like really spectacular, honestly. It is interesting because there's two posters for this. And the, the one that was the VHS box is the two kids looking badass in front of a Mercedes. But the other poster is this kind of graphic that has like text and pictures, like a pictogram. And it has like until and then a white boy picks up a white kid, met picks up a black kid. He led a pretty normal existence. Now he's had a beer, spoken to, and what looks like a prostitute. And that's not in the movie. That so didn't I wonder happen. <laughs> where is that imagery from? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know what. Well, so you maybe, know what? It looks like there... what that was the original script because you know with the writing he had for his other movies like Flashdance and those other movies. Yeah, that's, you know, if we would have went with that. That's what we would have had, but we had the second draft. But I, I yeah, I, but I wonder if they filmed that. And then there were reshoots. There you go. Maybe locked in a vault by somebody, because I don't even, I think Warner Brothers owns this now, but I'm not even sure. There's the deleted, the the much vaulted deleted scenes of big shots. The NC-17 cut of big shots. Oh, I don't even want to know what that would be. Oh, God. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Terrible. Both. Both. Uh yeah, this was made by a like that I said. I think one of those owns it. That's because a company named Lorimar made it. They did mostly TV. They did Dallas and the mm-hmm. Waltons and shit like that, and a lot of movies that are of varying quality from like Cruising and Action Jackson mm-hmm. to uh, the Fish that say Pittsburgh, which I own, but nobody else does. They no longer exist. They got bought and sold, bought and sold, bought and sold. So that's why I think it's Warner. That's why you can't find this movie. How do, so how did you watch this movie? Boy, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> I tried to go, I tried to take every route that was possible. It was like, here, go here to watch this. Oh, we can't watch it here. Well, maybe if you go there, you can watch it there. Oh, you can't watch it here either. So I was like, forget it. Let me just buy the freaking movie. So I spent $3.99 on Xfinity to see this movie. Was it in SD? But it was worth it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of stretched out, but I mean, I, I enjoyed, you know, what I watched for three ninety nine. Yeah. So I'm not it was on, good. it was on Amazon. So now I, I went ahead and I bought it on Amazon for like $5. So now okay. I own a streaming copy. I can watch whenever I want. <laughs> um, well, you love it though. I mean, I do love this movie. Yes. So yeah. I, I usually don't buy digital content because I'm a weirdo and I want to mm-hmm. own a disc. But this is this is never unless Vinegar Syndrome finds this movie <laughs> or some yeah. other like boat boutique Blu-ray label gets their hand on a negative or, or an interpositive, this ain't getting re-released ever. Well, yeah, I was surprised. I would I thought it would be on something like, you know, uh Zumo or whatever uh, whatever it is and Tubi and Pluto <laughs> and stuff like that. I said Zumo, that sounds like like an old man would say. <laughs> Has no Zoom, idea about the, streaming the, services. The kids in their Zumo. Zumos. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, this is this is the kind of movie you think you find on Tubi, like mm-hmm. for sure. This this movie screams Tubi. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's like you know, kind of remembered and kind of you know, but nobody nobody cares. Um, it's a perfectly cromulent two and a half star movie. I would I would give it. I would say it's a above cromulent three star film. Ooh. Uh, if I were to Full move three. with nostalgia put in there, it's three and a half. Um, there you go. Because this movie gives me the happy, the happy feeling, the happy feels. It does. It does. Yes, because I, I, like I said, I watched this a lot as a kid because 
I was of the age of pretty I was a little bit younger than the cast. <laughs> uh and because this movie stars two people, Billy, um, who should we start with? <laughs> well, I think we should start with um Darius first. Yeah, because we that's what else, how about I have left us left less to say, right? Yeah, so, you know, because most people kind of know where Darius is at this point in his uh, lifestyle. Everybody, I mean, for one, I don't even know why I'm calling him Darius. Every black person knows him as Eddie. You don't call him Darius. You just literally say Eddie. And why is he Eddie? From Family Matters, of course. Thank you. Yes, that's how. Yeah. If I had to name somebody else from Family Matters who was not Urkel or, or you know, the cop, it'd probably be him. Yeah. Because that show was on for goddamn ever. Yes. It was, I think, I think it was one under Cosby show. I want to say that's what uh, kind of, he's kind of braggadocious about stuff too. I mean, he's not like <laughs> a jerk with it, but he's really kind of boastful about things that's done. But I think he said it was like number two in the, uh, like, you know, households. I under would the Cosby have, show. I, I don't, maybe it was number two among shows with black casts. There you but, go. It was on the same time as Cheers and Seinfeld, so no, it was not. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> number two. Uh, it's a, it was a. I liked Family Matters before it became the Oracle Show. Really? I mean, I mean, I was like nine, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I don't. It think was it, funny. It was funny. All of, but yeah, all those type of shows like Perfect Strangers and everything, you know. Yeah, it was TGI Friday. Yeah, TGIF. Those ABC. It's like Perfect Strangers, Full House. Family Matters, Boy Meets World, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like all those shows, like that, that, like the tween ABC had that market covered for like a good decade. Uh, yep. You know, I like, I, I'm a big Perfect Strangers fan. Perfect Strangers is hilarious. And dope theme song. It is, yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Darius McQuarrie, McQuarrie, this is before Perfect Strangers. Um, before, 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 no, not, not before Family Matters. And, uh, how did he get this role? Cause you, you, you found out. Yeah. So he's, his, apparently his family is like really, they're, they're really popular and they had an R and B gospel group. So they were really successful. And, um, Chip Fields, which is Kim Fields from the Facts of Life, his mother, she saw him backstage when he was going with his dad to sessions like I think it was with the Winans with this one. Uh, she noticed him backstage and took him to an audition. And apparently he said he got this role out of 5,000 kids. That's a lot of kids. And it was his first role. Yeah, it was his first role. Yeah. And yeah, from then he went on to a few other TV shows. And he had a small part in Mississippi Burning. And mm-hmm. he's in What's Happening Now. He's in What's Happening Now? I didn't even realize that. One episode, I think. I like it. I love it when TV shows get sequels. (laughs) There's What's Happening Now. There's the new WKRP in Cincinnati. I'm surprised there's no. What was it? More Good Times. More Good Times. I was just going to make that joke. I was better times. (laughs) (laughs) This time, time the title's not ironic. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Better times. Damn, damn, damn. Anyway. you get that joke i definitely do okay good thank you uh but you so, so he he was in family matters and he's been a lot of tv stuff since then and you said he has kind of a tabloid centric life now like he's, yeah i don't want to get in, 
too into it. Yeah, yeah he's, don't get into the know. bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was married three times. Uh, mm-hmm. Once to Superhead. Uh, a couple what is other... Superhead? <laughs> what is Superhead? Who <laughs> is Superhead? I don't know. What... Well, who is Superhead? Oh, she's a video vixen. And she's called Superhead because she gives Superhead. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There I didn't. So what do you what do you say is when you say video vixen? What is is he a porn star? Like in rap videos, she was like a dancer oh. and everything like that. And Bobby okay. Brown, Bobby Brown warned him not to get with her. <laughs> if Bobby Brown says somebody is trouble, <laughs> exactly. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, he's been through some controversy and everything, so he's trying to be, you know fly right now but you know it is what it is yeah. and he he has he had an uh, r&b video in the 90s that was unreleased that you said is very 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 90s he had an r&b song that i saw on youtube um okay. and he probably did a video but you know he was at that time everybody was singing uh like you know especially like you know like young black um entertainers they had some mm-hmm. kind of foot into the music industry and oh, plus yeah. just he was with you know his family was with music already so i'm sure he already had that kind of uh itch so but he, yeah, yeah. he can sing pretty good yeah so uh his father was in was a, was a singer is that what happened and then his father yeah. his father knew kim field's mother that's the, that's the lineage so two degrees to tootsie <laughs> there you go sounds like a that movie. is tootsie right I think so. The one, yeah, the um, Fox of Life. The girl. The, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, Tootie, <laughs> Tootsie. I don't know, it's been so Tootie, long. whatever her name is. Anyway, uh, but you know, I and then you said recently he was connected with Sydney Starr, who is like a, a transgender rapper. Well, she's not necessarily a rapper, but she might oh. be because everybody's a rapper nowadays. But okay. uh, she would, you know, she definitely tore down a rapper uh, named Chingy, right there. I'm sure you heard about that one, but oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she tore him down and like made this whole scandal with him and found out it wasn't true. But now apparently he's he's been connected with uh Sydney Star recently. They like they did this like steamy video together where um they were like she was okay. like grinding on him. She kissed him. But All right. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, good for I'm glad you know, that's nice good that he's uh, you know, not closed minded. There you go. Not a pig. So good for him. Yeah, he says he has says he has lots of transgender friends. So that's cool. No, I was just saying he's not like ashamed about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Eddie. Anyway, <laughs> the other kid. So Eddie plays. Oh, so Eddie, I said Eddie. <laughs> so Darius. <laughs> I told you, you can't stop it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like it's like it's like Alphonse. It's like calling that one guy called like Alfonso, whatever. Because he's Carlton. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so he yeah, plays exactly. Scam, but Obi is played by a dude named Ricky Busker. Now, another reason why I wanted to do this podcast is I wanted to find out what the hell happened to Ricky, Ricky Busker. This is Ricky Busker's only movie. This has nothing to do with the movie. This is about you in your quest to find out what happened with Ricky Busker. Hey, I've had that's just, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. Like I have not to go off on a super tangent. I have there's this there's this like prog group I like called uh, Star Drive, and oh, yeah. they only they released two albums and the guy quit. And I wrote him a letter like in the mail <laughs> <laughs> to try to find out what happened to him. He never replied. Um, I didn't try to I didn't try to contact Ricky Busker, uh, but I did dig in. I found two interviews with Ricky, Ricky Busker, one from hear. 1987 and one from 2020. <laughs> so, wow, what a what a 
long period of time between that. So first, let's go back in time. It's 1987. Big Shots is about to come out. It got hype because it's Zoe House and Ivan Reitman. You know, and so the kids do interviews and he did an interview with the Chicago Tribune because this movie is set in Chicago, as we said, and Ricky's from Rockford. Yep. How, cl- how close is that to Chicago? So uh, it's funny, you know, the whole movie, I was you know looking at landmarks and things like that. Rock- Rockford is su- south of Chicago and it's about an hour and a half. And okay. quick, quick note. Um, yeah. So where he's at in the movie is Hinsdale. That's about two hours to go back from biking to Chicago. Oh, bye-bye. Yeah, so it looks like they're on the west side. So it is possible then? It is possible. Yeah, I already okay, checked that cool. out. Yep. Yeah, all I know about Rockford is that's where Cheap Trick's from. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he was friends with Ricky, Ricky Nielsen's kids, apparently, in school. Interesting. Of, How crazy yeah, is that? one of the guys from Cheap Trick. Um, but he, the interview he gave in the 80s is very innocent, very adorable. You know, he, he tells a story about how he was his, his fifth sibling – <laughs> was supposed to be a boy, was a girl. He was sad. And so his dad took him to an audition to cheer him up. And, wow. Uh, he went there and got the part. And his, before that, his only real acting was in a school play. He didn't want to swear on camera. And there's a lot of swearing in this movie. So... Uh, his, he, he, actually, he actually talked to his, his parents and him actually met with their bishop <laughs> to get the okay to swear. I get the feeling that Ricky grew up incredibly religious. Uh, okay. Yes, that's the feel. That's, that's at least up until this point. Uh, yeah, you, he said, you can't get t- any more special yeah. than him. He's so no. nice. He's, he's adorable. At the time, he wanted he kind of wanted to act, but he also in an interview in the interview he said he wanted to be in med school. That was his goal, and so Ricky vanishes, <laughs> and then I found a podcast on YouTube called Splat from the Past, which is a dude who interviews people of this level. Uh, so one good on him. I need and, to check this site out. Yeah, that's that's yeah, my jam. It's it's, it's it's you know it's interesting. I'm glad he's doing it. I'm glad and he 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 puts out like literally hundreds of episodes and I haven't heard of most of these people. So that's to tell really? you. Yeah, that's pretty, you know. There you go. Uh and so apparently from this interview I learned that after the movie came out, it didn't do good, you know. It, this movie kind of bombed. Uh he got a few callbacks. He was going to be he auditioned to be Bud Bundy and Murder Children. He was going to be the little kid in Big, but then they recast the Tom Hanks role. And he, he does not look like Tom Hanks. No, not at all. <laughs> so they had to change that. Um, then his parents got divorced. He said that the movie, he didn't go into detail, but he said that the experience of making the movie was great, but it, quote, tore the family apart. Oh man! I have no idea what he didn't go into detail. Uh, they spent the money when they got it. Like, and that—that that is, this isn't really an example of like the family wasting the money. It probably wasn't a lot of money. You know, and that's like when it, that's like when you know when uh, you have a divorce and the uh, the parents are like, you know, you're not the problem. And like, he actually was the problem. I, well, I think terrible. the situation was the problem. <laughs> okay. And oh, so man. then when they got divorced, the mom moved to Idaho, and that was that. 
So that's so sad. It's sad. He 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 has nothing but good things to say about making the movie. He said that him and Darius really became good friends and that they they talked relatively recently. Like the, in this interview from 2020, he said that he talked to Darius in 2010. He said he had a lot of fun. He actually, he, he actually got to drive the car in one scene and that was fun. He met a lot of cool people. He said Ivan Reitman was, was was a nice guy, but like super like worked super fast. He said that some people in the in the cast scared him because <laughs> they were like these super experienced actors and he knew nothing. They closed the set when he had to say shit so his mom wouldn't see it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Does it get hilarious. more innocent? It's adorable. It's adorable. And nowadays, like, so I know he's a chef now, and you found this pizzeria place. So what did yeah, Darius you know- say? He said, uh, and please, you know, if anybody's listening to this, don't do this. And you happen to see Ricky Busker of all people. He said, you go into Lucifer Pizza and ask for Obi. And I'm like, what? Don't put that out there for this poor guy. <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, don't do that. So, but Lucifer Pizza is a chain in California. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, Ricky said he was living in Texas. Um. So when was this Darius interview? You know, I, I saw that. I, he's, it was in 2020, unless it okay. was maybe 2019, whatever. But he said it. You know, he said, yeah, he's working at Lucifer's Pizza. He's He was on a pizza joint. And then I saw that, like, um, there was another one here at Nikki D's before that. So who knows? Yeah, who, but, I, I mean, know he's, he's a chef. That's what I was going to say. He's in the field of, you know, serving people food. So, <laughs> well, not serving, making. He's not a making, waiter. Sorry. That too. Uh, you know, so he he seemed pretty happy in the interview. Um, mm. He doesn't. He said he had kids, but doesn't seem that much. I don't know what's going on now. Um, sure, but he doesn't seem like he's not. He his life wasn't torn apart by drugs. So that's this movie's batting a hundred percent with the kids. Yeah, regular. I mean, they came out pretty good. You know, they did. Yeah, Darius uh, has some issues, but nothing, nothing like life ending. <laughs> and yeah, like Corey Feldman or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, Corey, no, Corey Haim. Corey Haim. Corey Haim. Well, no, I Corey mean, Haim just still like alive. Corey Feldman has, he has problems, though. But whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. Hey, both uh, Darius and Corey were friends of Michael Jackson. There you go. What that? Look at the connection. Yeah. And he said, yeah, he said Michael Jackson what, didn't do anything weird, too. So uh, okay. he said people around him did stuff weird. But anyway. That's good. Anyway, um, they're the stars of this film. Like, they're in every scene, pretty much. Uh the other people, a few people of note, um, I think the two main other people in the movie are the characters Johnny Red and the bad guys. Johnny Red is, uh, I guess he's a fence. Is that, what do you think is John? Like, he's, he's, he's into some sketchy shit, but nothing terrible, right? Like He just kind of just, you know, yeah, he's a thug, uh, <laughs> but not old like, man a thug, thug with heart. Though, not, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's like a leftover seventies thug. Yeah, he you know he probably just you know runs some numbers. Yeah, maybe sells a little bit of dope, but sell no, some sell some like sell some people. grass, run some numbers, has some has some watches if you want some. There uh, you go. He has a ton but, of watches. <laughs> a lot of watches, and he likes them. But that's Paul Winfield, and Paul Winfield's rad. Um, he was in the movie Sounder, which is a great movie. Um based on a fantastic book. I, I really recommend that. It's a great family film about okay. uh, black sharecroppers after the war. Very, very good movie. And then he played Martin Luther King 
in the miniseries. Got to emmy nominated yeah, for that. Yeah, looks like King. Yeah, she looks kind of like yeah. King. Good, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. Um, he got an Oscar nomination for Sounder and an Emmy nomination for for King. Um, he oh. won an Emmy for Picket Fences, uh, which I loved as a kid. And but I think most people would recognize him. He's one of the cops in Terminator. He is yeah. Lance Henriksen's partner in Terminator. It goes mm-hmm. badly for him. <laughs> but he pulls out the M16, though. Yeah, he does look dope in it. He's in a movie I really want to see called Gordon's War, which is supposed okay. to be a fantastic black Hitson film I haven't seen. Um, he's in Serpent in the Rainbow, if you want some goddamn nightmares. Um, <laughs> fuck that movie. And he's in a movie I love, which I want to have on this podcast someday, called White Dog, which is about a racist dog. Are you kidding me? So, no. Okay, so let me explain White Dog. Let me well, I'm going to go off on a tangent. But people, people tell me they like my podcast. When it's over, they, they want to watch like 25 movies. So I guess this is a good thing. Um, Please. White Dog is from 82. It's by Sam Fuller. Sam Fuller directed The Big Red One, Shock Corridor, Naked Kiss. He's a cult film director. Okay. I love Sam Fuller. Um, white Dog is a movie about a journalist who finds a stray white German shepherd. The dog is very nice. When a black man tries to attack her, the dog almost kills him. She finds out that the dog was trained by a white racist to attack black people on site. And she tries to train the dog not to be racist. And the movie is, guys, if you can't tell, kind of an allegory. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Chappelle was on to something when he had that uh, racist animals. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's a great movie. The score is by Ennio Morricone. Um, oh, really? So yeah, at least it sounds good. Directed by Sam Fuller. Written by Sam Fuller. It stars Christy McColl. Christy McColl was one of the women in Empty Nest. One of the daughters on Empty Nest. I love that movie. Uh, I got to find my Blu-ray of it. I lost it. But that's a great movie. Um, and Paul Winfield's fantastic in it. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic movie. I love that movie. He plays the he plays the bite victim. No, he plays the trainer. Oh, okay, cool. He's trying to train the dog. He has a pretty, pretty big part. Another like that. I think the two main bad guys are kind of forgettable. Doc and Dicky. Then the two the two guys who have the car. Like they. That's uh. Doc is a Polish actor named Jersey. Polish last name. <laughs> um, Skolomowski and Dicky's a guy named Robert Joy. Uh, Robert Joy was in, I know Robert Joy because he was in, he was in Land, Land of the Dead and Jersey was in The Avengers apparently, but I don't know who he was in that. Uh, okay. The other actor I really noticed in this movie was was Robert Prosky, who plays the pawn shop owner. Did you recognize him? I didn't recognize him, uh, but he was. I, I see why. Um, Ricky could have been kind of scared of him. He did have like you know a presence about him. Robert Prosky was a scary motherfucker. He was a great actor. Mm. He is. You've seen him and stuff. You've seen Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, he's probably a person I've seen, but I don't know him by name. He's a definitely. character actor. He was. He's the guy, Mrs. Doubtfire, who he has to have dinner with at the same time as the family at the end of the movie. Okay. So he's the guy for whom gets to hear Robin Williams say, "Sorry, but I had to go piss like a racehorse." Um, <laughs> a, I've always loved that joke. He is a bad guy. He's in Last Action Hero. He's in Christine. He's in the Great Outdoors. 
He's the vampire actor in Gremlins 2. I believe he's Nicole Kidman's dad in Far and Away. I think his best role, and a role that this reminds me of, is in Thief. In Thief, he plays a crime lord, and he is terrifying. Absolutely. He is a monster in that movie. He is... he, he. pretty much flat out tells uh james khan who's the, the main character is like i can give you anything you want and i will take it the fuck away and he means it that's that's interesting because james khan can play a uh, kind of a threatening character as well nothing like this dude it's a different kind of threatening and that's his, like his first role big role because he didn't okay. start acting until the, until the 70s um he was born in 1930 he has a like his part is very small in this but he plays such a great goddamn bastard like <laughs> exactly oh you, you just feel so bad oh my gosh and he goes behind a, uh, a gate of all things where it locks yeah he plays <laughs> a, he plays a bad him. pawn shop guy we'll get to it in a few minutes um yeah but yeah he's other than that the rest of the cast you know some like a lot of a lot of a lot of character actors in this movie people you recognize some small roles i do think it's funny that obi's dad is played by bill hudson because Bill Hudson is Kate Hudson's dad. So he has a history of not being around his kids. Um, Interesting. Yeah. uh, I don't know anything about the Kate, the Bill Hudson, Goldie Hawn, whatever happened there. But the funny, the funny thing I always find out Bill Hudson is that Bill Hudson was a really big deal for like five and a half minutes. And nobody knows who the hell he is now. He had, he had his own TV show. You've never heard of him. What was the name of the show? Uh, it was with his, with his brothers. It was one of those one of those seventies variety shows. I forgot the name. Um, oh, okay. And him and his brothers released like three albums that did okay, but like no, they're completely gone. They had their own movie, not available on any home video format. They're just they're gone. History erased the Hudson brothers. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then this was kind of his attempt to be make a comeback. I don't think it's stuck. I don't think it's stuck. Like because he's he's barely in this movie. Because yeah. You know, doesn't last long. So I guess we should get into the movie now, talking about the dad. Um, some spoilers here. If you want to watch this, it's on Amazon. It's on. How did you watch it? In the Xfinity. Uh, Xfinity and in WB. So it's three ninety nine. Okay. Yeah, I got. Yeah, it's cheap. Uh, I recommend it. It's not the greatest film in the world, but if if you, it's 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 a fun little piece of eighties, and it is definitely. You know, I started this podcast originally to focus on films that they, don't, they do not make anymore. And yo, they do not make movies like Big Shots anymore. No. Yes. So we're not going to go scene by scene, but like early on, the dad dies. Like yeah, pretty quickly, within five minutes. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, he's going to be okay, kids. Nothing to worry about. Oh, yeah. Great sight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They cut from so. <laughs> So here's what here's what I was a kid when I was a kid I remember this. So the first scene is them fishing and the dad is telling him about the birds and the bees, and then he Obi like also is looking at the dad's watch. The dad gives him the watch, which is like an expensive Rolex. Um, nice watch. Balling. And then the next morning, so when I was so this this confused me as a kid. So the next morning they're eating the fish, and uh, Obi hates it. But the dad likes it. And then later on, the dad has a heart attack. When I was a kid, I thought the fish killed him. <laughs> I thought it was exactly. like, like airport. It like seems airplane, that way. Like airplane. Like it was bad fish. Um, yeah. 
And well, the fish the, look terrible, to be, to be fair. Well, yeah, it's like walleye, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you grew up, like, we both grew up by the Great Lakes. Like, I hate the fish in the Great Lakes. <laughs> it's all yeah. It's all too bony, white fish, tastes mm-hmm. like shit. I live in Japan now. <laughs> Very bony. Yeah, give me the real fish. So, yeah, but you are right. They, it's, like, it's like, well, he, he, it's a serious heart attack, but he's here now. He survived the first 45 minutes. He should be okay. Cut to his funeral. yeah i mean i don't know i thought he was gonna be out of it honestly the way he even gave it like a thumbs up in the bed and Mm -hmm. it's like okay you know uh something's gonna happen where he's gonna lose his job they have to move to the city and it's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's completely no 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 bill hudson is gone and then so obi goes to school later whatever whatever day later sees another kid get dropped dropped off by his dad loses it and just runs away from home on his bike. Yeah, that kid should have known that's a trigger. Don't love your dad in front of me. I just lost mine, you know? Yes. You what know, a jerk. As someone who who lost their dad last when I lost my dad last year, it was it, it it thank you. Uh it is amazing what triggers you. Mm-hmm. Um like I told I might have told the story. I cried watching Sonic the Goddamn Hedgehog. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just it just is what it is sometimes. It's about I know family. Um so yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry. I lost my uh I lost my kid to like a miscarriage and then oh, geez, like, I'm sorry. uh oh, thanks. But uh it was like some Christmas song came on that had nothing to do with it. It was like, you know, twelve days of Christmas and I just started like bawling like a you know, baby. Yeah, so, well the crazy. holidays are the worst. There you go. Yeah, like this last Christmas I by the the closest thing I I came to partaking in any Christmas stuff was Die Hard. Well, that's the great that's a great one to do. So you can release aggression yeah, while totally. watching that. So yes. it's fine. no, no, no happy family bullshit. But anyway, uh, Obi runs away from home and goes to the, the they. It is the south side of Chicago. Now, yeah. So if I may, Chicago and so, go nuts. <laughs> Here we go. Let me pull out my book right quick. I don't know what the book has anything to do with this, but anyway. So he rides <laughs> his bike from Hinsdale to uh apparently the south side now look you know looked in google maps because i'm a nerd like that and <laughs> it was about two hours you know each way i'm sorry Go but <laughs> knowing from what i know you know how the the landscape is in chicago it looked like the west side and just saying you know i'm not sure you've been in chicago or any or know about chicagoans we are real territorial about the yes, sides and it's like you know what i'm saying so like you know if it's south side, yeah, that's south side. If it's west side, that's west side. Uh, if it's north side, there you go, it's north side. Nobody really talks about the east side. But well, the east side's a goddamn like... lake. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So everybody's in water. But uh, the south side, it just didn't have that dynamic. And it's not as closed in in the south side. It's more open. The west side has that. The west side looks kind of more like uh, New York does, where it's kind of like, we look at the streets, you see how it's kind of like a little bit claustrophobic, I guess you can say. But that, this means nothing to anybody else listening to this, but it means no, a lot to me. So I'm thank you for that time, Joe uh, James. Well, uh, <laughs> what's what's where where is uh where was Cabrini Green? Cabrini Green is on the south side, and it's like right right on the south tip of um the the city. So yeah, it used to be really bad back in the day, but yeah, I, yeah. but it's like super nice now. Okay, is so the area where the area where Obi is supposed to be supposed to be a bad part of town. Yeah, it's uh, not near Cabrini Green, and he wouldn't be around there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a bad. All I know from all I know about Cabrini Green is from um, Candyman and an episode of Sixty Minutes. 
And Candyman, Candyman did a really good job of showing it. That's exactly how it looked. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a fucked up area. But that's where he meets Scam. <laughs> nice name. Scam. It's in the Bible. Um, another. This movie has great lines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about one earlier. I do Ob- when Obi has to. Obadiah is a terrible name to, for a kid, and he explains it to Scam as if it's in the Bible. And then Scam says, "My name's Scam. It's in the Bible too," which is a great line. That's the thing you have to look about when you look at Obi. I mean, he is a kid with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. He, I thought I was thinking about it this morning, and I was like, you know, he could have just left at any time, and this movie never would have happened. Yeah, like, he did not have to stay there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's just so innocent. Like yeah. you, you swore you said a you want to drink alcohol. You, I don't steal. I don't steal. <laughs> like God, like it's good thing he he is the twelve. Like he is how Blue Live Matters people act now. <laughs> Dude, it's like he got beat up, and like if somebody dropped their head, he's like, "You left your hat. <laughs> you forgot to punch my other kidney." Um, exactly. Yeah, he's just a he's just a smuck, and it's a good scam. Like he scam agrees to help them because Obi said he'll pay him, or something like that. Um, something like that. Yeah. But I feel like scam just helps him because scam knows, like, yo, this kid will fucking die. If exactly. we just leave him it here, like, it was like yeah. charity almost. Yeah. So he 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 really he he needs his help because the bat some bad kids stole Obi's watch. That's the main thing, and that's his dad's watch. So Scam knows a dude named Johnny Red. That's Paul Winfield who sells watches. It'll go. You know, I'm 12. This makes sense. <laughs> and yep. Uh, Donnie Red's like, no, go go away. Uh, he doesn't. He, he, I don't have it. The the pawn shop guy has it. And from there, there's the is the, there's the great scene at the like again. Keegan Robert Robert Prosky, such a bastard. Um, yeah. and I think that's when the movie kind of goes into overdrive because you you get the idea that. Scam's life is not good. Obviously, he's he's nearly homeless. He's living in a hotel. Um, but it isn't until after they get the watch that you, you kind of get the main crux of the story: is that Scam's mom is dead. His dad's living down south and doesn't know doesn't know about him. And well, see, so, the- yeah. Yeah, well, it's just kind of funny. You look at like how Scam survived. You know, that's what kind of I thought about the entire time. Like, what did he do before this? What was he doing for money? What did he do for food? And I mean, he's a crafty kid. You know, he oh was yeah, able totally. To survive, you know, keeping uh, keeping himself alive and be able to be fed. You know, and he just can continue to make up stories. So he probably has been bouncing from hotel to hotel. You know, months and months from the, between this time frame. Yeah, yeah. It's been a. He said it's been a few months since his mom died. Um. You know, I do feel like in the real world he would get taken in, and they would fi- they would find his dad. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not yeah. like his dad's a criminal. His dad's just living in Mississippi. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not not that hard to find.
We also forgot to we also f- forgot to mention the dead body. <laughs> oh yeah, that they opened in the middle of broad daylight, and it's just well, like a is, dude's hand sticking out. Yeah. So 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 at the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. What's going on now? The bad guys. So yeah, they they roll up to the uh, to that hotel and mm-hmm. then they have the I, I forget who that is uh i can't if you can refresh my memory the bad guys yeah doc and dicky doc and dicky doc's the main one dicky's the henchman with the, with the bowl cut <laughs> i honestly didn't get their names to tell you the truth <laughs> they, they say them <laughs> like, one time each okay so yeah it's fine <laughs> but you were saying I, I do know oh yeah well just just funny like um they had like the dude's dead body like in the back of the trunk and then like they just opened it and was like uh you know <laughs> just people like walking around it's just like this dude just laying back a, a corpse just in the hey, back so of the trunk it's a rough area car. right that's what i hear on, that's what yeah. that's that's what fox news tells me it must be true it is yeah <laughs> anyway we're all tough uh, when we carry dead bodies in our trucks go ahead in mercedes um <laughs> so yeah you never really find out what's going on there like doc's a hitman uh with an assistant <laughs> I, so is is Doc Leon and is Dickie Natalie Portman like what's going on? Like, ah, yeah. What's the dynamic here? They and he's, he had like at, a, a southern accent, right? The uh, guy with the bowl haircut. Yeah, he has a weird southern accent, and Doc is from mm. Poland because that guy is from Poland. Uh, I might not have mentioned it earlier. If I did, I apologize. That actor um, who plays Doc, he is a a filmmaker also, and he co-wrote Polanski's first big movie. <laughs> Uh, wow! Knife in the water. So he went from knife in the water to big shots, which is you know a career path. Um, mm-hmm. He, I feel, they're such strange villains because that that character, the character they kill, means is nobody. Like you never see his face alive. He is a mm-hmm. nothing human being. Um, <laughs> you never. Sure he has know... some words against that. <laughs> what was that? I'm sure he has some words against that. He's offended by that, James. Well, no, he's dead. <laughs> oh yeah, well, never mind. Uh, he he he. Ha- you know you don't know why they want to kill him. Why kill him? You don't know why. You don't know anything about these characters. Um, they are like a personification of of a MacGuffin. They they exist only to move the story forward, and it's probably the weakest part of the movie. Uh because I feel like you could have a nice little family comedy drama with these two kids kind of going on the road and trying to survive. But th- then you got also, you know, a hitman looking for them. You know, now that you just said that, I'm realizing they didn't even need to be in the movie. Yeah, they did not need to be mm. in the movie. Um, yeah. They add a threat. That's really all there is to it. Because the mom, so when, when they go on the road again, the mom is looking for them. His Dicky uh, Obi's mom, and that's mm-hmm. not a threat. You yeah. know, that's that's just you go home. That's like mm-hmm. you know, uh, if the hitmen find them, they will kill them. <laughs> like they exactly. will at one point. Like that one when they do eventually capture them, Dicky threatens to cut their dicks off. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah, and then you have Darius, you know, defending the size of his penis, which is you know. A strange scene for a family film. Um, yeah, yeah. So like the like I said, so like it goes places. I I and that is the weak part. I do like when 
Before that, when Obi gets taken to the foster home and they recruit Johnny Red to rescue him. That's yeah, probably that my cool. favorite part of the movie because you get to see Paul Winfield. And that's when Paul Winfield delivers the best line in the film. Yeah, I was going to say what's pretty funny about Johnny Red is that he has uh, probably the worst security system in the entire city of Chicago. <laughs> Not one, but two children broke into his house or his apartment. And one just used a brick. Yeah. <laughs> He's a dumb white boy. Uh, there, there you go. Sometimes. I, sometimes. I do like the first time they break in, Obi sees the mirror on the ceiling and says, oh, he must uh, he must get dressed lying down. And, <laughs> and, and, and I missed that. How did I miss that? And That's Scam pretty funny. Says, Scam says, man, you dumb. <laughs> That's funny. That's, that's pretty good. The, that's the second. That's the third best line in a movie. the The second best line is what Obi says to that racist bartender in the movie, when like someone's gonna piss down your throat or something. I forgot the exact line. Um, but the best line in the movie is when Paul Winfield threatens the bad guys. What does he say? I love it again. Let me uh, see it what again. it is. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you better stay away from me because I walk on water eat bullets, and shit ice cream. And I had to think about that for a second. I was like, eat bullets and shit ice cream? What does that even mean? That's how hardcore he is. Okay, Like, cool. the bullets just dissolve. Like, he's so tough. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, sound, make some, it sounds, it sounds cool. It sounds yeah. cool. Um, mm -hmm. I might have mentioned this before. I'm making a, I want to make a YouTube video eventually of, like, the 50 or 100 best lines from films you haven't seen. That'd be um, awesome. And that's on now. Uh, because I don't, I don't think, you know, no one's seen this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite insults in a movie. It, it, it doesn't make much sense, uh, but it sounds good when he's singing it. And Paul Winfield is a great actor. And so he, he owns it, you know, and I feel like that's Paul Winfield's, that's, that's his character's best moment. That's when Johnny Red actually is a good guy. Like, he, he, he could walk away. You love Johnny Red, though, man. You know, Johnny it's just dope. like, he, yeah, he plays, he plays that part of like, you know, I don't want to do this, but hey, these kids are just too adorable, so I have to. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That's, that's always how, how it works. But yeah, from there, that's they go on an adventure. I don't want to spoil the very ending. Um, I like I said, the, the, a lot after that point, the film does kind of become a chase, um, and that's probably the weaker part. Once I think once they leave Chicago, it gets a little weak. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, the very end picks up. I, I do like the very very ending. the last the last scene is really good, um, and some of the stuff in the south, but. It doesn't need the stuff with the guys chasing them. It feels very extraneous. There's a whole part with like a, a con man, Bible seller stealing the car. Does not need to be in a movie. Like it does feel like padding. Yeah, they needed to get eat some of that time up. You know, yeah, it's, uh, it's only, it's, the movie's only ninety four minutes long, and you could probably cut out ten minutes, I guess. But I still love it. Um, it did not do well. Uh, 
It opened on October 2nd, 1987. And I want to go over the box office that weekend. So it opened number eight, which is bad. Um, in the top 10, it beat No Way Out in its eighth week and La Bamba in its, in its 11th week. But Well, that's good. Well, it lost <laughs> to the pickup artist. Speaking of movies no one's heard of anymore. That's a forgotten Molly, Molly Wingwald movie. It lost to Hellraiser in its third week. Um, Dirty Dancing in its seventh week. Stakeout in its ninth week because Stakeout was a huge movie. Uh, is that the Tom Hanks movie? No, Stakeout is the Richard Dreyfus. Oh, who's the other one in that? Um, Richard, Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez movie. Okay, yeah, I still it's remember. It's a buddy that cop one. movie. Um, yeah, I know it was with cops. Yeah. It's good, but God, that movie was huge. They made a sequel with Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, oh, that sounds that's not good. Um, then at number three, in its third week, our favorite movie, The Principal. Yes. And then deb- debuting at number two, Like Father, Like Son, which is a body swapping movie with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. <laughs> I think I remember that movie. Uh, well, there was so I, many. I, there was that yeah. one. There was the one of Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage. And then there was mm-hmm. the one of George Burns. And I forgot who. Then they all came out like around the same time. And they were all the same mm-hmm. story. They're all Freaky Friday. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're all bad. Um, but if you want to tell me what is a 1987-ass 1987 movie, I'm going to say the movie starring Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. <laughs> exactly. You don't get much more uh 1987 than that piece of shit. And then number one, uh Fatal Attraction. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, yeah. that movie was a monster. But yeah. Big Shots was only in the top ten one week. It vanished. Um then I like I, I get from the interview, Ricky says I think if the movie would have done better, he probably would have tried more to act also, but it didn't work out. Um and reviews were pretty kind like there were a lot of negative reviews none of the reviews were like fantastic but a lot of like not so negative two and a half star reviews and not so positively star reviews mm-hmm. uh, i mean it it seems like that type of movie it's just right in the middle literally and you said they uh didn't like the car uh, chase scenes right yeah a lot of the critics were like this movie d- d- doesn't need the action scenes um ebert I felt like a goddamn idiot when Ebert, I read Ebert's review and Ebert said, this is Huck Finn. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, uh, you're I'm, a, I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, it's Huck Finn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah basically. It's basically. You look at it. Yeah. The, yeah, they even go down the goddamn river. <laughs> basically, yeah. Oh, I'm an idiot. Put on the dress before it's too late. You're cruising for a booze at a rapid rate. Knowing nothing of the streets. You proceed to scrap your life on contract and you can't turn back. You end up in shambles. Your life's but before we finish, in my continuing quest to provide the most information about Big Shots than anybody else in the history of the internet, uh, I want to talk about the soundtrack. Oh man. Uh so can we start with 
put on the brakes or put on put it in on the brakes or what is we're that? We're gonna start and finish with it because the score we're gonna, the score is by the score is by uh Bruce Bowton. Bruce Bowton's a good composer. He did this. He did the music to uh Silverado and Tombstone, which is a great score, and Monster Squad. It's a fine score. Whatever. Um, this the movie has two songs in it. One is Steve Winwood's Freedom Overspill, which they play like five times, and I do not get why. Because, at, you know, Steve Winwood has a few good songs. Valerie, good song. Higher Love, that's okay. Freedom Overspill, not so much. The other song played for like maybe 25 seconds. Yeah. When they're all leaving the orphanage is Big Shots, parentheses, put on the brakes by the West Coast Posse. So... Uh. I'm watching I hope this. That posse the f- disbanded. Oh, so I, <laughs> hey, I know more about the West Coast Posse than anybody in the world. So, the West Coast Posse. First of all, okay. First of all, I watched this movie last week, last year, right before I went to America, before my dad got sick, uh, and I was drunk as hell. And while watching this movie, I found the twelve-inch single and the seven-inch single for this song, and I bought them. Oh, that's what that sound was. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. No, Uh, (laughs) I own three versions of the song. I own a 12-inch mix, a 7-inch mix, and an instrumental. So, West Coast Posse are MC Jam and Pee Wee Jam. They are also on the Axon Jackson soundtrack with the track that plays over the end credits, Protect and Serve. Axon Jackson was also made by the same studio. So oh, MC Jam and Pee Wee Jam had connections at Lorimar, apparently. This song and that song were both co-produced by David Kirschenbaum and Stevie Salas. David Kirschenbaum is a big deal. He he produced Tracy Chapman's best albums. He produced oh, okay. I thought it was I thought it was Timbaland at first or Neptunes. But no, it was no, just somebody else. No, Neptune's did not touch this track. Um, David Kirschenbaum also is the, he's responsible for remixing Rio by Duran Duran. When that album came out, it had a different mix and didn't sell well. And he remixed it and it became huge. Um, you can't see his work on this song. And then the other, the other person, Stevie Salas, whose nickname is Stevie No Wonder Salas. He was a studio guy. He is on a few albums by Was Not Was and Bootsy Collins, and Terrence Trent Darby. Um, okay. And he's on... You ever see Small Soldiers? Uh, I know about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, that soundtrack is weird, because it's all like rap and techno remixes of rock songs. Okay. Um has a dope version of, uh, of uh, Tom Sawyer on it, which I recommend. But it has a terrible version of Cheap Trick's um, uh, Surrender, which he, which is just like sped up with these terrible guitar riffs on it. That's him. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why. This song is bad. Um, yeah, it is. Hold on. My notes were... <laughs> my notes were, uh, <laughs> what is this terrible song put on the brakes? Just sounds like random sound effects and drums. And a bad guitar. Speaking of bad rap, okay. real quick, have you ever seen uh, Sleepaway Camp 3? I'm sorry, but I liked every part of that sentence. Um, Just no, saying. I'm, no, I'm, Norm, I have not seen Sleepaway Camp 3. Go on. I, this is, for one, it's a movie for you because, you know, it's your jam. But literally, I guess the people that made the soundtrack 
felt that rap is just the emitting of grunts and, you know, I don't know, whatever, like horrible sounds. Yeah, literally, the song was like this. There were no lyrics, literally. I, I shit you not. Look it, look it up and listen to it is the funniest thing in the world. Okay, I'll check it out. Is it better or worse than put on the brakes? Yeah, better. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> I, I, I feel, so I have a blog, uh, com, which, uh, I post MP3s that no one cares about. So I don't get sued. Um, it's awesome. thank you. Uh, I've never been sued. Fingers crossed. Um, a while ago, let's see if it's still on here. Cause I don't, po- I don't update very much anymore. Cause it's, it's kind of hard to find obscure music these days with Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. So nowadays, I mostly post like bizarre soundtracks, early electronic music, video game stuff no one's heard of, um, stuff like that. I did post. I don't think it's on anymore. I might, I might re-up, re-up it. So if y'all want to have put on the brakes, um, you should go to LostTurntable.com and do a search for it. I will try to put it back up sometime soon. And the world then can get Put on the brakes. Uh, I think I put it on here. Did I not put it on here? Did I, if, if My not, suggestion yeah, is, I is just I, go to go to Lost Turntable and just look at the site. Don't download. Put on the brakes. <laughs> God damn, that's harsh. Um, no, more people need to at least. Okay, it is still on there. It is my June twenty second, two thousand twenty twenty one. So almost a almost a year a year ago. Um, I usually delete songs after a few weeks, but I was like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna come after me for put on the brakes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I think you should download it because I can't be in case my computer explodes and black and my, and my cloud storage vanishes. Somebody else needs to have this song for the future. Ah, you're right. Yes. Download it, guys. So please do. Um, Yes. So yeah. Again, that so that was five minutes on put on the brakes. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I realized it. I did want to mention one other thing about the music too, though, real yeah. quick. Uh, I like this movie because it is uh, kind of narrated by emotional saxophone. <laughs> so like, if there's like <laughs> like a terrible scene, it's like, and then if it's like a sad scene, it's like, and if it's happy, it's so it's pretty cool. That's a good point. It's a good point. Um, it's like a cartoon. It doesn't make sense because uh, that dude also d- did some uh, Tiny Toons music. Ah, okay. The composer. Yes. So th- th- that's very incidental like that. But anyway, uh, I like I said before, I-, I like this movie. I would say if you like um, Adventures in Babysitting, I mm-hmm. think it's similar to that film. Not as good. Great movie. Um, Great movie. This is the best, okay, this is the best 80s film set in Chicago starring young teenagers that is not by John Hughes. Mm, great, great uh, you know, kind of assessment. <laughs> I mean, I, I realize oh, really? that's a hell of an exception. Um, yeah. But every other one, either John Hughes wrote, directed, or produced. So, you know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? But, uh, Norm, you were, I know you gave it two and a half stars, but do you think it's worth watching once? 
I, you know, I, I'll give it two and a half, three. I, it's fun. Uh, um, and especially as a kid, you would love to watch this movie. I'm, like when I was a kid, you know, I saw him with sunglasses. And it's like kids going on an adventure. This is what I want out of life. You know, I want to want to watch. So and I think right now it's fun to watch as far as like the uh, there's a lot of good one liners on it. And, you know, it's cool to see them going on a little adventure and everything. It doesn't hurt. So it's it's definitely something that I would certainly rent. I would also say this movie does, I think, when it comes to race, it's a little, I don't want to say problematic, but it has problems. Because um, it's the white kid from the suburbs and the street white black kid, right? And mm-hmm. the black kid, like, Scam is, he's not like, do you know, do you know the trope of the, mag- the magical Negro? Of course. Yeah. yeah. He's not that bad, but mm-hmm. he does the in the first I think the second half, the one good part of the second half of the film is it does save that. Because in the first it is kind of split into halves. The first half is the black kid helping the white kid. Mm-hmm. And a lot in a lesser film it would end there. But I feel like in the then it then it's Obi helping him. So that helps that. Yeah. And it does have some pretty strong anti-racist stuff in it, especially near the end. This is this movie does have a hard R N word though. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Thanks for bringing that up. Shit out of me. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Uh, a bad guy does say it. Thankfully, um, mm-hmm. you don't have Obi accidentally drop it. It wasn't Obi. <laughs> it wasn't Obi. <laughs> that would have that would have been a little funny. I'm sorry, just to say, uh, like if he would not not have noticed, like I, you you could imagine another version of this script that Esther House wrote, where everyone, all the black, is saying the saying the n word, and then Obi does too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and could, then it's like, oh, Obi, Obi, and then the saxophone goes. It's <laughs> racist saxophone uh, cue. Anyway, I like the movie, so we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Norm. Where can people find you online? People can find me at twitter.com slash normally retro or twitter.com question of C and also at youtube.com a question of character where we look at a character every week, every Monday, and just do a good question about what makes them tick or talk. Yes. And it's a fun series. I enjoy it. Um, Thank you. Can I announce where you'll be here next? Yeah, why not? Okay, so I don't want to say everybody just in case someone else bails, but in theory, fingers crossed, uh, we will I, sometime probably in in uh, August when it goes up, there'll be an episode with me, Norm, and probably two other people um, discussing American Ninja Two. Gosh, I cannot is, wait. So, uh, if you want to watch American Ninja Two, good luck. Um, I found it on Voodoo. <laughs> uh, yeah. So American, I, I'm kind of on a quest right now. I, I mentioned this last time. I did the episode about Class of '84. Then there was a terrible school shooting. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I don't. Right. I, I'm trying to cover positive films, happy films. Now, American Ninja Two is a violent film, but it is dumber than a sack of bricks and uh, and amazing. So. And what has what's his name? Steve James. Yeah, yeah, I can't oh, remember his name, but yeah, the guy with the afro and the mustache. Oh man, and gorgeous. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, if you want to look into that, I would do it. Um, you know, and then come back for that episode when it comes up in a month or two. Um, I think it's gonna. I'm really looking forward to talking about that movie. 
But uh, until then, this is going to be huge. It's going to be a great episode. I hope. Fingers crossed. Um, and as usual, you can find me online at LostTurntable.com, on YouTube at Lost Turntable. I plan on updating that sometime again this year. Maybe I'll try. And on uh, Twitter at Lost Turntable. Uh, and then again, also my other podcast, Alexander's Ragtime Band, about progressive rock music. We just did an episode about Vangelis' album, Vangelis' uh, band, Aphrodite's Child. And I think the next episode is going to maybe... I won't say who it'll feature, just in case they back out. Um, but we're going to cover post Sid Barrett, pre Dark Side, Pink Floyd. Um, that's the plan, anyway. So uh, uh, check that out sometime in July. But I'll see you again in a couple weeks. Until then, take care. Shit ice cream. Shit ice cream. But don't eat it. Don't mess with me, don't mess, don't mess, don't mess, don't mess, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me.